All right. Welcome to the Success Coaching Podcast. I'm your co-host, Kelly Scar. With me, as always, Mr. Todd Foster. And today we are welcoming Eli Shaw into the studio to go on to a deep dive in conversation, find out all about Eli and what makes him tick. Welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Hey, I'd like to interrupt real quick. So no one worries. Ben's okay. Ben is on assignment today. He'll be back next episode. I feel so much less important. I I love the two of you, but I miss Ben. I want Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Before we we started here, he is the instigator. So it's, it's, uh, I think we're going to get probably a little bit more serious on on this podcast now that our uh, Mr. Comedian is not on the show today. Oh, so I'll buckle up. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome, Eli. Can you tell us a little about yourself, who you are, what you've done, what you're doing now? Sure. Uh, well, let's see where to start. I was originally born back now. I, uh, I got into all of this. I wanted to, to be a therapist since I was a young age. That's, that's really kind of the core of how I became a coach. So that's kind of the bookends of it. But starting in, in around 12 years old, 13 years old, I really wanted to become a therapist. I, I just was driven to help people and help them figure out what they want to do with their life. Um, Got bullied a lot as a kid. I'm sure that had something to do with it. And then was following that track, got into college, was going to major in psychology. And uh, I accidentally wound up becoming an actor instead. I did. (laughs) I had been singing for a while. I had done a couple of shows when I was younger and then started performing a little bit when I was in college and uh, fell in love with it and wound up studying human behavior from that perspective, from, you know, stepping into different roles and having to digest what it is to to be these different characters. And that was a lot of fun. Did that professionally for a number of years um, in New York and was real close to Broadway a painful number of times. <laughs> um, I was uh, in final callbacks to play Frankie Valley and Jersey Boys six different times over 10 years. Uh, I was then in another show that was totally funded and ready to go and was going to be on Broadway and then got stuck in a lawsuit and completely just died. Uh, so as close as you can get without doing it, sabotaged myself a lot along the way. Um, while that wasn't paying the bills, got into real estate and did sales because I figured, Hey, uh, why not? Uh, I was in the middle of moving and thought, uh, these people aren't getting back to me. I'm sure I could do better. And so I got my license in two weeks and 12 years later found that I was still doing it. <laughs> um, and, uh, when I stopped going after acting and went full-time into real estate, people were asking me questions. How can I, Hey, can you help me? Can you teach me? Can you train me? Can you mentor me? And I thought, number one, I like helping people. That's familiar from when I was younger. And number two, I should get paid for this. So I started looking into how can I become a coach and actually make that my job and got hired as a productivity coach in a particular office from there, started doing some training to learn how to coach and help people better. And that introduced me to something called NLP, which is neuro linguistic programming. And that coincided with when my wife was diagnosed with cancer. And we went to that first training together to learn how to get our minds right and deal with something that we had never dealt with before uh, so that we'd be able to handle it. And from there, not only were we able to better take care of ourselves, but professionally, it advanced me as well. And I went down that rabbit hole with NLP and hypnosis and how to become a person of ethical influence and really move people and, and got certified as a coach uh, and have been doing that ever since. So that was uh, I went through that first training back in 2016, I think, is when I started getting into NLP. So I'd already been coaching for a little while uh, and then opened up that hatch and 
realized, oh my God, all the things I don't know that I didn't know. And uh, started playing in that area and have been doing it ever since. So now coaching is what I'm doing pretty much full time. And to really make it all come around full circle, I'm actually in grad school now getting my master's in marriage and family therapy. So it's all come back around, but NLP and, and coaching is the thing that finally got me back to my original passion. Uh, and bonus, just for the people who are, are listening, my wife is healthy. It's been, it's been four years. Awesome. She's had a lot of surgeries, has been on chemo twice, just finished chemo for the second time about a month, month and a half ago, and just had her first follow-up scan. Everything's clean, shows signs of healing. So she's in really good shape. That's awesome. That's so you're like, congratulations. Yeah. So you're like the mind, the mind Jedi, I guess we could say, right? Uh, with these the are not the droids you're looking for. Yeah. This is, it's a big part of what got me into it. Cause you, you kind of, when you start understanding how the mind works, there's so many things that, that you can do. You can, you can be a jerk and do it all the unethical way. If you want to check that stuff out, there's plenty of videos out there. Not what I do, but yeah. Um, the Jedi mind tricks of, Oh my God, I can change everything about how I think and how I feel and how I attract people and how I move people just by changing the way that I speak. Um, every once in a while, there's a wave of the hands, but not so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, through, through those skills, there's a lot of what people refer to as magic and, Jedi skills and all that stuff. And th there's books that refer to it as magic. It isn't. It's just science. But when people don't understand it, it looks like magic. Here's a hypothetical for you. So what if you would have taken NLP prior to becoming an actor? How would things have been different? Wow, that's a good question, because I think about that all the time. Um, one thing is I probably would have just stayed in that area. I might not have ever been an actor. And that was a wonderful part of my life. And I learned so much from it. And by the way, for anyone listening, if you are going to school for the arts, it's worth it. It's helped me in every single job I've ever had. Being a theater major has made everything in my life easier because I know how to talk to people. Um, but if I had gotten into it back then, I might not have ever gone down that road because it was just it's so fascinating. I probably would have just stayed on that track. That said, if I had used NLP skills as an actor, I would have been that much better. Right. Um, everything from like every good actor needs to know how to be in the moment and, and get into the emotional state that's required. But if I had the, the tricks that I do now, like anchoring, where I could like touch my knuckle and start crying, I probably would have used it. <laughs> I probably would have done it. I would have coached myself to be more purposeful and effective with the way I prepared for auditions, which I oftentimes didn't really do. Um, I would have been able to learn a lot faster. I would have been able to memorize a lot faster. Um, and I would have gotten into rapport with casting directors a lot faster. <laughs> and yeah, right. I think I probably would have worked more. I'd like to go back to you stating that you were bullied as a youngster. And then around the age 12, you decided you'd like to be a therapist. And then you got into acting. Do you believe at any point the acting, because you said you got to escape as a character, were you attempting yeah. to escape your childhood in acting? Um, I think that there were cathartic moments for sure. Um, there were, there were, I used to play some really dark, dangerous, like very crazy kind of characters. Like I, I played serial killers and murderers and like that was one side wow. of what I was known for. Like I did all the fun, froofy musical theater stuff too, but I, the, the straight stuff I did and some of the musical stuff I did also was like spree killers and serial killers and drug addicts and that kind of thing where you get to 
express a kind of rage that is unhealthy to express <laughs> in real yeah. life. Um, and, uh, you know, it's the, it's a part of yourself that you get to play with in a safe way. Uh, maybe we should edit that out. Do you get to play, <laughs> play with yourself in a safe way in public? Um, <laughs> and, and, and yes, I did do a nude scene once on stage. Um, but that's a story for another time. But yeah, there's a lot or, of catharsis. Or, or right now. Or right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of catharsis in getting to, to express the emotional part of yourself that in, in, you know, standard society would really be inappropriate. Um, which to that point, I, I definitely recognized as I became an adult that I had some rage problems, like stuff that I just didn't deal with things that didn't come out when I was a kid that I felt so inadequate or so unwanted or, you know, and, and I was very loved. I had a great family and I did have friends, not a ton of them, but the ones I had were very close. Um, but there's always that, until you deal with it, there's that feeling of revenge, you know, where it's like, I'm going to show them, I'm going to get back at them. And then you come face to face with someone who bullied you when you were, you know, eight or nine. And you see them when you're 20, it's like, wait a second, they've got their own life and their own problems, but it took all that time to kind of catch up. Um, and it definitely, some of that came out through acting. Amazing. With the work you had to do in preparing for the characters as a serial killer, and then what you know now from NLP, did you see anything that correlated with one another or what type of characteristics they had? And number two, I'm looking forward to you being the, I guess, the star of Dexter, the musical when it comes out. <laughs> I, would, that would, I would love that. Let's, let's hope that this goes somewhere. Um, that would be fantastic. The, the, the correlation between... You said preparing to play a serial killer and the, the NLP skills. And, um, and what you saw in those characteristics of serial killers that you were playing. Yeah, I think that's I love that. That's the questions that you're asking. This is really cool because I haven't thought about this stuff this way, but you're you're right. It completely correlates. Um, there's some really important skills from NLP. Uh, one of them is called reframing, and it's used through all of the coaching world. Um, and, and people throw that word around as if it's just kind of a household word at this point, but it, it is based in learning specifically how to understand or observe something from a different perspective, whether it's your own or someone else's and being able to answer the question, what must be true for this other person in order for them to believe or think or act that way. And when you're stepping into a role of someone who enjoys murdering people and making out with his girlfriend. That's not something I do. Uh, I just want to be really clear. <laughs> um, uh, but getting into that place where it's like, what would make this person tick? How could it be true for them? What would have to have happened? What's their backstory? How can they view the world in a way that makes this absolutely crazy stuff make sense? Uh, and that is absolutely something in common. That's a, a skill as an actor of having to step into a character and, and reframing through NLP and recognizing that everybody is always doing the best that they can with the information they have with their given circumstances. And if they had a crummy childhood, it affects them this way. And if they have been divorced, it affects them that way. And if they witnessed a horrible thing and went through trauma, it affects them another way. And so their filters of how they perceive the world around them are going to be very different than anybody else, which is true for you and true for me. We all have our different experiences. 
Uh, and it completely shapes how we interpret the world and how we communicate with ourselves about the world and then how we express that with everyone else and communicate with others. So every, every person that we've interviewed on this podcast so far, there's always been um, some element of failure that, that we've, you know, kind of uh, taken a dive. on. And uh, I'm curious, you know, um, the acting just didn't, it just didn't work out for you. At what point did you realize that it wasn't going to work out and that you needed to shift? Was it, the zeros in the in your bank account was it uh, you know was the <laughs> fact that it was you just weren't getting hired anywhere like what what was it that that uh, made you finally you know stand up and go okay enough is enough it's time to to reframe and it's time to shift out and and move on to something else. Um, it's I, it's about where passion and purpose no longer synced up, and and that's. As, as all of us on this call being coaches, that's something we work on with all of our clients. Or you need to be passionate about moving towards your purpose. And then you find the things that are going to make that work. When I was in New York uh, and doing theater there, I was very passionate about it. And that was my purpose. There were a couple of things that I was not passionate about, even though I'm from New York. I'm born and bred and raised there. Uh, I do not like the weather in New York to the point that it, it made me depressed. And I just didn't want to live there as an adult anymore. And I wanted to move to L.A. I figured if you want to be a professional actor, there's really only a handful of places you can go. And L.A. seemed like the right next step. So I moved to, you know, by the beach and the palm trees and 72 and sunny. And it was great. And I told myself, if nothing else changes, at least it will always be a beautiful day, which was true. I also realized when I moved there that I do not like Hollywood. I just don't. It made me unhappy. Going after a career that was going to have to be part of that community or environment, it turned me off. I just don't work that way. I'm a stage actor. It was what I was passionate about, but I didn't want to live where stage acting was a thing. So I had to make a choice about what I wanted my life to be and what happiness meant and what fulfillment meant. And I started having to ask myself, is there another path towards me feeling passionate and purposeful in my life? And the answer was yes. And because the answer was yes, it made it easy for me to change course. If the answer had been no, I probably would have moved back to New York because that would have been where the answer was. In order for me to do what I really wanted to do, then that's where I would have needed to be. Uh, but because I was able to find that I was passionate about helping people and it made me feel like I was fulfilling my purpose in life, it was something where I was able to change course and say, OK, I can have a life doing this instead. Um, I got pulled back a few times. You know, I, I, I got flown back to do different shows in New York and to, to be part of different presentations of new works. Um, and if they had worked out, that would have been phenomenal. I would have done it and been extremely happy. But it wasn't something I was willing to put the work into anymore. At, at that point, I realized I, I can do something else. Which, by the way, is something that happens with a lot of actors. We, I remember when I was doing a, um, an apprenticeship at the Berkshire Theater Festival in Massachusetts, we had a whole bunch of people who were very, very successful come in and talk to us about their experience. And the, they all had one thing in common, which really drove me crazy. And I make an effort to avoid doing this with absolutely anyone. But in the field of acting, there's something that gets said very often, which is if you can be happy doing anything else, then do that. Because this is too hard. And it teaches people to expect failure from a very early point in their career. 
Um, and even though I was successful, I was making money. I was getting cast. I was performing pretty regularly. Um, I was an equity member, which is, you know, for, as far as theater is concerned, that's, you know, you're a professional when you're part of Act Actors Equity Association. Um, and uh, as soon as I was able to recognize that I honestly could be happy doing something else, it just it gave me another path forward. Then I had choice. It wasn't I'm doing this or I'm going to live in a box or I'm like I'm, I'm all in. I didn't have to do the starving artist thing because I could be happy doing something else. Um, people who know that it's their only option and they're going to do it or they're going to fail or they're going to they're going to starve and whatever it has to t- whatever it takes, they're going to be an actor and they're going to succeed. It just wasn't like that for me. Um, so I felt like I had other options and I ended up just choosing another one when the options make sense. When you went for the Jersey boys audition, not the first time or the second time or the third time or the fourth time or the fifth time. And even the sixth <laughs> time, which I give you credit because most people would give up on the first step. Was there a pattern in what you were seeing in your performance or why do you believe you were never selected after the first or even after the sixth? I think there's two reasons. Uh, I think that the first was discipline. I, I got in my own way so much. Um, and this is something that we talk, we all talk about as coaches when it comes to planning for a goal. Do you want all of the results that will come with accomplishing it? And back in college, before I was even like really seriously, this is going to be my career. I remember thinking to myself once, well, if I'm really as good at this as I want to be and hope to be and think I am, then that means I might get really famous. And if I get really famous, then there's going to be paparazzi and I won't have the kind of life I want where like, cause I want to have a family. I want to have private time. I want, and I started telling myself, hold on a second. If this actually works, you might be hurting yourself. And I just put this stumbling block in front of myself over and over and over again for years. Now, who's to say if I ever would have been that successful or if I ever would have been famous and it's not, it's not about ego or anything. It's just, if you succeed as an actor, people know you. And people want to come up to you and talk to you. And I started really getting concerned with if I'd be okay with my life ever being that. And I started self-sabotaging. I started just really avoiding preparing for a role. I I just, I would go into auditions and I maybe read it once, or I didn't really know my lines. And and this isn't the stuff a professional does. And I knew that, and I would never let anybody get away with that, but I let myself get away with it because looking back, I was afraid of actually being successful. Um, The other thing that I think got in the way over time was authenticity. I think that uh, for all the success that I ever had as an actor, I can look back at that now and say, if I had done it knowing what I know now, I would have been more open. I would have been more vulnerable. I think I still had this layer of armor where getting that real would be a little bit dangerous for me sometimes, which you cannot afford as a professional actor, you just can't, you got to go there. It's part of what it takes. Um, it's something that I, that I learned through experience and rejection and, and having to find that place of where can I really be open, but still feel safe about being open. Eventually I learned after I stopped even trying to be an actor that there is a really beautiful power in vulnerability. Like when you witness somebody being really vulnerable, it's awesome. I mean, that that looks like somebody who can do anything 
And I don't ever, I never realized at that time when I was younger that it actually was strength to be vulnerable. Uh, and so I could go in there and, and go through the audition and go through the callbacks and go through what it's called Frankie camp. They actually like pay you to go and train with all the people for the show. And there's a day of acting, there's a day of singing, there's a day of dancing. Um, and I'm not as good a dancer as you are, Todd, but I did my best <laughs> and, and, uh, I did, I did pretty well, but the bottom line is I was a better mimic at a couple of those things than I was an authentic performer. And I could do it as well as the person I just went to go see do it, but it still wasn't my version of doing it. It was their version of doing it. And as I've grown and matured and, and gotten into deeper levels of helping others, it's, it's become clear to me, frankly, through maturity and age, that being the best version of myself is the best I can ever do. And trying to do it the way someone else did it I might be really good at doing it like that, but I'm still not going to ever do it as well as they do it because that's their way. And I was still trying to do it their way instead of my way. And I'm pretty sure that's why I was always in the top five or six, but I was never the one. Never miss an episode by following or subscribing to the Success Coaching Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or at your favorite podcast provider. It, it sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, but it sounds to me like ego um, helped you, helped your subconscious uh, self-sabotage a lot of this, right? Yeah. Um, this whole idea of, well, what if I'm, and it, it isn't just what if I'm successful, you were very specific of what if I'm, what if I'm successful and I become super famous and, and I can't live this life because of paparazzi, like you were very specific, right? Mm -hmm. it, would you agree with that that is kind of an observation? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I got, I, I chunked down so specifically to be like, this is how I can ruin my life. It wasn't like, what if I get right. famous? It was, what if I get famous and this and this and this and this and this? It was so specific of a picture that I was trying to avoid. Um, it, it was very compelling. So now that you've had time to reflect on that and I, and I was able to nail that kind of on the head, how would you, if somebody were, if you were to identify that in a coaching client of yours, how would you kind of start to shift them around that? way of thinking? Uh, I would start by using something called the Cartesian coordinates, which is four questions. It's what will happen if you do, what will happen if you don't, what won't happen if you do, and what won't happen if you don't. So it's, if you imagine a, a graph, it's the positive, 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 negative, negative, positive, negative, negative. So it's all four quadrants. Um, right. It com comes from mathematics. And uh, usually by going through those questions, it allows people to kind of parse out what the future would be based on different choices. Um, if at that point there was the recognition that there was still the what if concern, then I would use uh, a skill called chunking, uh, which again comes from NLP. I know that both of you are familiar with it, uh, where we would want to aim towards what's their purpose, what's their intention, what ultimately do they want? And then we would work backwards to find ways of them accomplishing that. And if there are certain things that need to be avoided, then we just make sure they're taken out of the plan. Um, if I were to have done that with myself, it would have been, I want to be successful as an actor. I want to feed that purpose for myself of being able to present for an audience, the human experience, which was a big part of what made me passionate about it and, and help people experience emotions that they might not tap into outside of the theater where they get to go through it together and there's that catharsis and growth and, and human connection. Um, 
And so that would be a success point for me. Um, and if I wanted to make sure I was just sticking to stage stuff, which tends to be a bit less on the famous side, uh, I probably could have developed a very achievable outcome for myself and ignored all the things I didn't want because I just wouldn't have gone after them. Because it was all still in the what if place instead of a here's what I do want. It was here's what I don't want. And I never qualified. What do I want instead? So you're acting and you, you said you weren't very vulnerable yet. I believe anyone that's nude on stage. Uh, <laughs> that was vulnerable. vulnerable. That yeah, was yeah. vulnerable. Yeah. My parents were uh, not invited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's I, I give you props for that. <laughs> I really do. Yeah, you said that you discovered that you love helping people. And so you're 12 therapy, right? You want to be a therapist and then acting. You got bit by the acting bug. And then did you at that time just forget about the therapy in general because you went to college? Yeah, I was originally going to be a psychology major. I, I became a theater major instead. OK, what at that time when you were young and, you know, you're a freshman and you're going to figure out what you want to do for, with, with the rest of your life. At what point did you do that switch that, hey, I'm in school. Hey, mom and dad, I'm in school. I'm going to become a, you know, a big time MD of some sort. Oh, by the way, now I'm becoming a starving actor living in New York City, nude on stage. <laughs> well, I didn't. If I had put it that way, I think I might have shocked myself. But they did have a big reaction. They were like, wait, you've spent your whole development through adolescence and into young adulthood wanting to do this. And now you're shifting gears. What the, how does that make sense? Um, I turned out I was good enough so that when they saw me perform the first time, they're like, Oh, you, you can do that. So that helped. But their first reaction was really shock. And, and seriously, that's what you're going to do. And you're, you're going to college to do a thing where you might not make any money. And there was a lot of that at first, but they got behind it pretty quickly. Um, there, there was more to this question though. And I feel yeah, like I, I forgot. Yeah, you, you said you eventually end up choosing to go into there or, you know, helping other people. Oh, yeah, so what happened? People. Yeah. yeah. So what, what happened was, and this, it's kind of funny. I was just talking about this with my wife in the last 48 hours. So it, it's, it's very top of mind for me. Um, I had, I had, prepared in every way to, to become a, psych, a clinical psychologist. That was originally the, the goal. I had been a peer counselor when I was in high school. I was doing everything I could to learn how to help people. Um, and the thing is, I, I think I got a little bit too hungry for it, where I just wanted to help everybody, whether they wanted my help or not. And, uh, and that was, that was the mistake because I, I, I burned myself out trying to be something to my friends that I was not asked to be. Uh, and there was a very particular situation where there was a friend of mine who went to a different school and we had been talking on the phone and her boyfriend had just broken up with her and she was really depressed. And I felt like I wanted to help her feel better because that just felt like the thing I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to help people. I'm supposed to help people feel better about themselves. And I couldn't. Like I, I couldn't help. There was nothing I could do to help. And the thing is, I started to get kind of depressed about the fact that I couldn't help. And I started telling myself, well, I don't want to spend my life trying to help people who can't be helped. And I don't think I only realized like really recently that was the mistake. That's where I completely messed up because I was trying to help people who didn't want to be helped. So there were two things. One, it was my ego. I got to get out of the way. Like, I'm not here to help everybody. I can't help everybody. That That's ridiculous. I was 19 years old when I made that decision, when I thought I could do anything. 
And I had a pretty healthy ego at that age too. So it's like, you know, especially you're going to go on to be performing naked on stage. You got to have a healthy ego. So, um, I felt like if I, if I can't do this, I must not be good enough. And I don't want to feel like crap for not being able to help people. It was a stupid young kid kind of thing to think, but I've realized as a professional and as a coach, you can get phenomenal results working with somebody who wants to do the work, but you can't want it more than they do. I mean, how many times as a coach have you been told you can't want your client's success more than they do? You can't. They have to be motivated. Um, now, as I'm on my path to, to becoming a licensed therapist, it's the same thing. People are going to seek me out because they want the help. And when people want help, they're willing to change. Even if it's uncomfortable, at least they're willing. They're showing up. They're asking. They're raising their hand. I was just going around everywhere blindly trying to solve problems that nobody asked me to solve, which was really inappropriate. I mean, I, I, I hold myself accountable for that, and I've forgiven myself for that. And it's, I, I didn't really cause any harm from it. But I, I messed with my own psyche. I messed with my own head, feeling like I... I could or couldn't do this and maybe I'm a failure and maybe I should change my life and all. Now I help people who want the help and wow, do we get great results? And I, I think that that's just an important thing for any industry. Just help the people who want what you got. And if they don't want what you got, go help somebody else. And so why real estate? That it seems like an odd shift from, you know, acting and, and wanting to be a therapist and all of a sudden you become a real estate agent. Like what, what, what happened there? Uh, that, that was, that started so by accident. It, it really did. <laughs> I was, I was moving from one apartment to another and I was call, it was just all on Craigslist back then in New York city. <clears throat> I was living in Queens and I just, I didn't have any good light. I wanted to change apartments. So I started calling agents off of Craigslist cause that's where it was advertised and they just weren't even calling me back. And I thought to myself, wait a second, I know how much I need to pay them because in New York City, you typically pay, get this, it's not like this anywhere else in the country, 15% of the first year's rent and the tenant pays it. So I knew I was going to pay, that's 1.8 months rent. So I knew I'm calling these people, they won't even pick up their phone, they won't call me back. They're calling me back at like 10 at night or some of them call me back two days later. And I'm thinking, I can do this. Like, why don't I just do it? I, I'm not going to pay somebody almost two months rent for them to not even call me back. So I called the last agent I had used and just asked, Hey, how do you, how do you become a real estate agent? And this was in 2009. So it was in the middle of the recession. Everything was crappy. I had been doing some cater waiter stuff to pay the bills at the time. And the primary gig that I had as a cater waiter bartender was at Lehman Brothers. I don't know if you remember, but they went out of business that year. Yes, <laughs> so did. my primary source of income disappeared. And I was thought, All right, I got to do something. I'm good at talking to people. I know the city. I, well, let's see. Let's give this a shot. So I called up that guy and I asked him what it took. And he said, you know, come on into the office. We'll talk about it. So I go into his office and I sit down and he turns to me. He goes, OK, so you want a job? And it's 2009. So I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I want a freaking job. Anything, please. Um, he says, okay, great. Why don't you work as my assistant while you're getting your license? I'm like, how do I get my license? And you can do it online. You just take a class. He pointed me towards something. I did it. Back then, it took two weeks from start to finish. I started taking classes online. Two weeks later, I took the state test and I got my license. Real high standard for real estate back then. And uh, still is. 
Oh yeah. yeah. There are plenty of places where it's that easy. Um, my license in California took me three months and I was not prepared for that. So I was just unemployed for a while when I moved, um, <laughs> much better preparation now in, in Colorado, I'm licensed here. Um, and it, I, I did more preparation and did it all ahead of time. But back then it was nothing. And I mean, you really barely had to speak English and which is to say a lot, like there's a lot that you have to know for that job. And you barely had to even speak the language in order to get your license uh, at that time. And so I got my license in two weeks within one, maybe two weeks after that, I got my first paycheck because I, I rented an apartment out. And I thought, hey, easy money. <laughs> um, the good news is I was I was naturally good at it, which, again, comes from being an actor. I was able to talk to people really easily. I was able to get in rapport with people really easily because I could just mirror and match without knowing what that was. Like, I didn't learn what that was until, I don't know, 12 years later. Um but I just did it naturally and got in rapid rapport with people and could get people to feel comfortable with me. And at, beyond that, I actually knew what I was doing. I sounded competent. I was confident about how I presented myself. And I had the mentality from the beginning of I'm still going to put other people first. Like if I'm going to help people, I'm going to help people. And this is how I'm doing it today. So I, there was a lot of integrity in making sure I always did what was best for them, even if it wasn't what was best for me. Of course, I always look for the win-win, but I always put the client first. So I started succeeding pretty quickly, um, and it became a, a pretty stable source of income where I was making more than I had ever thought I would uh, at, you know, what was it, 22, 23? I don't know. How old was I in 2009? Whatever that was. <laughs> um <laughs> And it just became this thing that happened totally by accident. I never meant to do it. I never meant to keep doing it. 12 years later, I'm still licensed and I'm still doing it. Um, I'm much more selective about who I work with now because if I don't like you, I'm not going to work with you. It's too stressful of a business. Um, but I, I work with referrals. I work with friends. I work with family. And it, it's still a, a really good part of my income um, because there were enough elements about it that just fit. It fit with my personality type. It fit with my skill set. And then as I learned all the coaching stuff, I just got that much better. So I, you know, I, I used to go from take a couple of months with somebody to take a couple of days with somebody. And I, I, I was on a, a coaching call with a group of people earlier today, and there was an agent on there who said that uh, they had gone out 10 different times with somebody to show properties and still wasn't really sure what they were looking for. And I told them, dude, that makes me nauseous. I get, I, I don't want to go out more than once. If it's twice, I get a little bit nervous. If it's three times, I'm starting to wonder if maybe I'm not the right person to be helping someone. Cause that's just the way that I do this. Like it, it is something I, I honed and got to the point where I can put minimal time for maximum results, um, in order to, to fund my life and make sure that I'm doing the things that matter to me. You know, my perception, my perception is, is it wasn't accidental that you got into real estate after hearing your story. Cause I was thinking like Kelly, where, how do you get in this? Yeah. If you think about real estate, there's a lot of acting yeah, and there's a lot of healthy people. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's almost like a baby step. You know, you went from acting or you went from wanting to help people to acting, to wanting to help people to acting to real estate and then helping people through coaching now as well. Yep. So it's kind of, you know, it's one of, one of the lines that I throw around once in a while is I, I move people, whether it's through real estate, whether it's through acting, whether it's through coaching, I move people. All right. So New York, California, now in Colorado, right? Yes. We, we won't get, we won't get into any, any of the other places in between. Um, now that you're, you're situated here in Colorado, you're home, you're, you're coaching, you're doing training, 
Um, consultations that convert. I mean, it's a great program. I've, I've enrolled. I'm sorry, I haven't been active the last couple of weeks. I've just been moving and stuff like that, but I've been watching recordings, all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's fabulous content, man. Like where, where did you, where did you come up with this idea for, um, you know, obviously you're practicing what you preach. You, you're, you take people out one, two times tops to show them property and, and boom, they're writing offers. And this is, this is essentially what the training is around. Correct. Yeah, it is. It's, it's about improving the way that you get to know somebody and, and understand their needs at a really deep level so that you're, you're working with the most important information you can possibly gather. Um, and it cuts down the, the time that you need to work pretty significantly. Um, a lot of this comes from, honestly, some of it's laziness. I'm going to be super straightforward about this. I don't want to have to put a lot of time into a business that I can do more easily. Like, why am I going to do it the hard way when I can do it the easy way? So as I started learning how to do it better, I started to just look for areas of repetition. What can I do again that makes this better? What's succeeding? If it's not working, don't do it. If it is working, do more of it. And as I started picking up more and more skills, it became easier and easier because I practiced them. I don't know if that's from my acting background. I don't know if it's because maybe I've got a little bit of OCD, but I like, I run stuff in my head over and over and over again. When I was learning NLP and sales skills through NLP, cause there's a huge part of it. That's just sales. There's a huge part that's just therapy. And I, I cover all of it, but just the sales side is, um, you know, learning how to ask questions, how to talk to people, how to get in rapport, how to, to understand what someone's need is, how to link that need to your value which I'm going to give a little secret away since we're, since we're recording this, um, your value has very little to do with what you tell people you can do. Your wow. value, if you really want to be effective is about how you can solve someone else's problem. So you have to know what the need is before you can even dream up what your value might be when it comes to sales. So that's a big part of what I, what I teach in this class because I don't spend time telling people about myself because most people don't care. And I'm okay with that. When I was an actor, I cared. I want people to know me. You got to see me, love me, clap for me, all that stuff. In sales, it's a little <laughs> bit different. If I can't help you, then I can't help you. But if I can, I want to make sure I'm doing it the right way. So my buyer consultations take anywhere from one to sometimes two hours. It is a deep dive. Like it is never just how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, where do you want to live? What's your budget? Like that, that's the basics, but I get into really deep levels on all of it and, and make sure that I can understand their language and their concerns and their fears and their hopes and their dreams and, and even their definitions. You know, if somebody tells me they want a yard, I've had that mean, you know, 10 different things, depending on who says it, does it have to be grass? Does it have to be fenced? Does it, is it okay? If it's concrete, do you want it to have a pool? Do it like all, all the different elements of that front yard, backyard, side yard. What if it's a rooftop deck, like all these different things, but most people don't bother to ask. I just make sure I ask up front. And if I take the time at the beginning to learn what I need to learn so that I can help the best way possible, it cuts down on everything else I do. I also I, I, I'm proud to say this. I got nervous for a second to, and was going to take it back, but I'm going to say it. I very rarely find the home that my buyers end up buying. It's extremely rare. They typically are the ones who find it. And I'm totally fine with that. I've got no ego around that because I'm not the one who's up at two in the morning searching for listings. They're the ones who can't go to sleep and they're excited and they're looking. That's great. The key is after we have our consultation, they know exactly what they're looking for. 
So they don't ever send me something that's inappropriate. They're only sending me stuff that is absolutely what they want. They're ready to go. All they have to do is confirm by walking through it. And, and that's it. Um, if I see something, of course I send it, but I cannot remember the last time that I found the property for a buyer. Cause I just, I, we get so specific that I wake up in the morning and they've sent me something that they found cause they weren't sleeping the night before and bam, that's it. Let's go get it. My job comes in when it, when it's time to go get it for them. So I'm on top of all the other training and designations and things that I do. I'm also a master certified negotiation expert. So when my clients tell me they want something, I just get it for them. That's, that's typically the way it goes. Uh, and I teach some of those skills along the way. Um, a lot of that's in a, a course that's coming up. Actually, I just wrote it. It's brand new uh, called um, Harnessing the Power of Ethical Influence so that you can learn the ways to influence other people. Ethically, of course, um, there are all the, the difference between an influence and uh, manipulation is, is intent. And if your intention is to actually help somebody, influencing them towards getting what they want, that's a really helpful thing to do. In fact, I think that's a really good thing to do. But if you're doing it as a self-serving process, that's manipulation. That That's not something I'm going to do. That's never something I'm going to teach. Um, but I, I do want to teach people how to communicate better and how to get better results. It's not about saying the right thing. It's about knowing how to say, when to say, where to say, based on who you're talking to. It's a set of skills. It's never a script. After this conversation, I have kind of put serial killers into my mind quite a bit now. And <laughs> the, whole, the whole NLP thing, when you think about how you can either be good or be bad about it, either be ethical or be a serial killer. It's, yeah. Those are your two yeah. choices. That's kind of what it comes down to. There's, there are stories out there, man, about the guy, one of the two who, who developed NLP. Um, cause it's all based on studying people who were really good at what they do and figure out how they do it. That's, that's what it is. It's just modeling when it really comes down to it. Uh, but one of those guys who was the original, um, there are stories about him getting away with murder or people who think that he did by using kind of the dark side of the force. <laughs> when it got, wow. Yeah. Um, and, and being able to essentially like talk his way through it and kind of manipulate people's minds and that kind of stuff. And, what people are capable of is really crazy. What the human mind can do is absolutely insane. And, and there's so much that we don't know about it. I mean, we, we could spend forever learning about how our mind works. Um, and we'll probably be, you know, no closer than we are right now. There's just so many layers to it. It's, it's a really cool, complex part of life that very few people really understand. And then those who do still only barely understand it. It's just more so than everyone else. It's time for the lightning round. All right, Eli, this is the fun part of the podcast, man. Not that this hasn't been fun, you know, to this point, it's been like, you know, very, you know, above the shoulders type stuff, like very much, uh, you know, in your head. And, and, uh, we appreciate the, the authenticity of which, uh, you know, you, you came to this podcast, um, you know, with, so really appreciate you. So let's do some, something fun here. Um, what is one of your weird quirks? Weird quirks. Oh my God. I would seriously have to think about that. I, I hate I guess it's a quirk. I just, I'm just going to go with a pet peeve. I hate hearing people chew. 
Like I really, 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 really hate hearing people chew. And it's just, there you go. That's it. I'm going <laughs> to makes me want to reach right through the, reach you right through the screen and just shake you. Um, it just, it drives me so crazy. It drives me so crazy because I'm so careful about it myself. And it's, I'm so highly auditory, like little sounds are drive me crazy. Like Todd, you know, there's a clock behind me that doesn't run. Like it's you, you I, cause I took the battery out cause I don't want to hear that ticking. I just, I can't, yeah. it just drives me crazy. If I hear, if I'm talking to you and someone's whispering on the other side of the room, I'm paying attention to that. So I, and I'm very easily distracted by sounds. All right. Question two, if you can talk in your sleep, what would you say? Please don't wake me up. Good more sleep. <laughs> All right. Uh, describe yourself in three words. Uh, positive, helpful, loving. I like it. All right. All right. Last one, man. Last one. And then we're going to, we're going to let you go here. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? Oh, dude, I've thought about this so many times and it's going to, I feel like this is going to sound so like, oh, really? But I'm serious. My wife, I would totally want to know what it is like to be her. Um, I just it's the person I know better than anyone. And I just I feel like it would be so interesting to get to experience a day from her perspective. I have one last one. What was the last song you sang in the shower? Wow. I have to think because it's not something I really do anymore. It would probably be something from Jersey Boys. It's some real high pitched falsetto, like walk like a man, like one of those things that <laughs> that's annoying the crap out of my neighbors. You know, probably one of those. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show with us today, Eli. I really appreciate your time and your insight and your expertise, man. It's it's been a great conversation. Hey, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me.